0: Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host, Paul Nefer, and today we're going to have a conversation with Jay Vroom from, I believe you're in, based in Virginia, or I know it's near D.C., but I think it's Virginia, or fill me in, Jay. Am I wrong on where you're based?
1: uh you're exactly correct uh i live and work out of um, McLean, virginia and arlington virginia uh, and that's just across the river from uh, washington dc i like to refer personally to the potomac river as my moat that uh, provides me some protection from washington
0: (laughs) that's probably a good moat so uh, uh, (laughs) but speaking of that i'm actually going to be in washington dc next week uh I'm visiting the Midwest uh, Ag Council is is have some meetings set up with uh, uh, various senators and representatives and some of their staff. And so I'm going to be back there and uh, I'll be there for about three days. And uh, hopefully the moat will keep me protected, too. Good luck. (laughs) So I always start off with, uh, you know, a brief background on uh, on your career, where you grew up, your education and so on. So we'll start off with that.
1: Well, I'm uh, one of those really lucky Americans to be born uh, to parents who were full-time farming uh, engaged, and uh, I have inherited uh, farmland uh, from my parents. Uh, I've added a little bit of uh, farmland to that base and I continue to be uh, so optimistic that I'm thinking about buying a little bit more farmland even at an advanced age and and this far into my career. But uh, from uh, north central Illinois, uh, so my family and my wife's family farm in the two counties immediately north of Peoria, Illinois, and uh, we farm a little bit on the east side of the Illinois River, but mostly west of the Illinois
0: I know exactly where that's at. I've been there several times.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And just primarily corn and soybeans, you don't have any livestock there, is that right?
1: Uh, That's correct. Today uh, we are corn and soy rotation uh, in both family operations, uh, which is uh, about as far removed from where those farms uh, were at from a diversity of production basis when I grew up uh, as they could be. Uh, both of our families, uh, raised all kinds of livestock, uh, had much more of diverse diverse cropping, uh, patterns, uh, back in the day. But, uh, as you can see, driving across the Midwest, uh, a lot of that's changed. Uh, I am, uh, encouraged by the amount of livestock production that has returned to the Midwest. Uh, I think a little bit more in some of the neighboring, uh, uh states to Illinois uh Illinois is lagging a little bit but we see a fair amount of livestock production uh, returning as well in Illinois
0: yeah yeah no especially a uh, fair amount of hogs uh uh you know I, I definitely know there's a, a, even in that area where you're at uh, I have some friends that have hog operations there so I, I know there's definitely some livestock there yes so so where where did you go to college you're you're obviously you have the farm, but you're not, your career re- really wasn't all strictly farming. So where did you end up going to college?
1: Uh, I attended the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana and uh, got a bachelor's in science degree from uh, the College of Agriculture. It's now the ACES College, been uh, rebranded, renamed, but it's still uh, at its core our land grant ag-, ag institution in the state of Illinois. So uh, got through that. Uh, and started my career uh, immediately after graduation from the University of Illinois, working in Ag Trade Association work. Uh, My first job was with the Fertilizer Institute in Washington, DC, and uh, jumped in as uh, kind of number two uh, staff officer for communications at Fertilizer Institute, Uh, moved over eventually into their uh, lobbying and government relations team. after four years at tfi i got a great opportunity to move back to the midwest Uh, i served six years as the ceo of the grain exchange in st louis which gave me uh, the fabulous introduction to grain merchandising and transportation Uh, from there i went to become ceo of what's now the ag retailers association and then after four years there uh, had the chance to jump over uh, to the CEO role at what is now called Crop Life America. It, at that time, when I joined them, uh, the name of the organization was the National Agricultural Chemicals Association. Uh, we re- rebranded that association uh, twice in my 30 years as CEO, uh, changed it to American Crop Protection Association, and then in 2002, uh, adopted the brand of Crop Life America.
0: Okay. Okay. And so, that is primarily an organization that um, is, pr- I guess, promoting, maybe that's not the right word, but uh, for ag chemicals. So would that be fertilizers, uh, sprays, uh, herbicides, uh, insecticides, and so on? Or how broad would that go? Sure. So uh, so CropLife, uh, as the kind of
1: larger umbrella organization, is representative of the crop protection chemicals Uh, both synthetic and biological products, uh, manufacturers, formulators, distributors, and, you know, a few other associate uh, members that, you know, would be engaged in uh, banking support uh, and other ancillary research and science uh, service functions. Uh, The organization Crop Life has an affiliate that I helped to uh, stand up uh, back in 1990 Called Rise, that is the representative of the non-agricultural pesticides and uh, industry. So, uh, think of homeowner uses, uh, golf course uh, applications of both pesticides and fertilizers, and some biotechnology. uh, Rights-of-way weed control for highways, uh, railroads, and uh, 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 power transmission lines. So. A fairly broad uh, representation outside of agriculture, including fertilizers. But uh, crop life was primarily on the side of of uh, farmer-used uh, crop protection chemicals and biotechnology.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So I right. had a great run there of 30 years uh, and wrapped up 45 years of Ag Trade Association work, but uh, knew that uh, I wanted to try my hand at being on the private uh, enterprise side of things. And so I started my second career five years ago, consulting for uh, both ag trade associations, but uh, also a wide range of corporate interests uh, in uh, crop protection, fertilizers, biotechnology, and a few other ag-related technology startup companies, uh, including one that I'm representing an, an investor in that does uh, development of soil microbes for remediation of uh, heavy metal uptake in In primarily in food plants. So I'm having a blast uh, being uh, engaged and having some ownership in some companies and helping advance and lead uh, some really nifty new technology that uh, will soon be in the hands of farmers.
0: Well, good, good, good. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, I remember when we had the top producer conference in Nashville earlier this year, there was a uh, a sort of a, a, not a panel, but, there would be a, a startup company that would come up in front of the group and they would go through, here's what our our product is going to be. Here's the stage. Here's the amount of money we want to get. And there was about six or seven of those. And that was very interesting. So uh, I, I, I think there is certainly a lot of money out there that's helping those type of startups in the ag industry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're
1: fortunate to have, a lot of startup companies that uh, do really amazing discovery and development work for new technologies for farmers and they're doing it on very efficient terms so uh you know with with all due respect to the big multinational companies like Syngenta or Bayer uh, Mm -hmm. who continue to contribute a lot in terms of discovery and development of new technologies for farmers uh, they are big companies with a lot of overhead and many of these small startup companies are uh, accomplishing an incredible amount of progress with very low investment of capital and, and other resources. So uh, it's the end, one of the big parts of the engine of uh, advancing ag technology that uh, we farmers know that we need uh, going forward. And uh, the pace of that acceleration is doing nothing but uh, going faster and faster, which is very reassuring to me, having you know my feet and roots uh, in our family farming operations in Illinois, but uh, having been around the world and worked on a lot of these technology issues uh, for many years.
0: So that one company that you're involved with, they they are developing some microbes that then go into the ground, grab that heavy metal, so to speak, and bring it up. Or, or I'm just curious how how that might work.
1: Yeah. So what we have uh, discovered so far that works is uh, a series of microbes that uh, uh, can be soil applied or delivered as a seed treatment that kind of protect the roots of the plant from uh, taking up uh, heavy metals. Hmm. Uh, There's really no way to practically remediate uh, heavy metals out of broad acre agricultural lands, uh, you can remediate uh, soils in a, you know, an industrial site. Uh, but it's very, very expensive. So actually removing he- heavy metals out of soil, some of which are naturally occurring, and some of which came from sources of man-made activity and farming uh, is not practical. So our approach is to find microbes that can help the plant roots uh, really fend off the uptake of of those heavy metals and and give us uh, crop and food products that uh, have diminishing uh, detections of heavy metals. And, you know, the objective is to, at least in the case of some crops and heavy metals, eliminate that presence in food altogether.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's very interesting. I I hadn't really thought of that, but uh, you're correct. Uh, You know, if you can at least prevent the heavy metal from getting into the plant that you've really accomplished what you need to get accomplish yes uh, another
1: interesting angle on this is that we've discovered that uh, some heavy metals also can be uh, quality and yield drag on on crop productivity so there's there's some other agronomic benefits that uh, we're exploring right now that uh, are also very exciting and, and beneficial for farmers and food consumers alike
0: Okay, and then just curious, you know, you, you left uh, after thirty years of of, of Life America, and you've sort of created your own um, entrepreneurial entity. What what's the name of that entity? Uh, so my wife and I have a small consultancy
1: organization uh, that's called Broomley Agriculture. So that's uh, uh, her uh, maiden name and and our family name. Uh, as a married couple. Uh, we're just about to celebrate 50 years of wedding bliss, which is uh, also something that uh, doesn't happen every day and, and really is rooted in you know our values coming from those farm families that uh, are still running the family farms in Illinois. But uh, yeah, we we do some work directly for clients. And then uh, I'm affiliated with a law firm here in Washington, DC called uh, Olson, Frank and Weta, OFW Law. Uh, work for with some clients. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I've played one on TV and, and work <laughs> actively uh, in OFW's government relations uh, group. And then uh, with uh, another small lobbying boutique firm uh, called DCLRS, uh, we we work with about 40 different clients, uh, mainly in the food and ag space, but uh, a few affiliated clients that are doing things in, in that kind of uh, lawn and garden uh technology space and and then a few uh, consumer products companies. Uh, We've just started working for a company that's in the PVC plastic pipe business, which uh, has some connections to agriculture, but also has big urban uh, market opportunities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and congratulations on uh, almost 50 years. Uh, My wife and I will celebrate 41 years in June and uh, And I think she almost has me trained. I mean, I'm not quite there, but I'm getting closer, I think.
1: Uh, I'm in the same position. You know, you want to make continuous improvement, but uh, it's a journey, not a destination,
0: right? Exactly, exactly. Well, we'll go ahead and take a quick uh, break for a sponsor message and we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit about sustainability and so on.
1: How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? 10 years? Top producers like Hans Leinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know Rabo Finance shares his enduring vision for the future.
0: Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched
1: financial capacity, local relationship managers and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgger Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgger Finance.
0: Back everyone to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nefer, your host, and we're gonna rejoin our conversation with Jay Room from Virginia. Um, Jay, with your career, obviously there's probably been some maybe chatter, and that's not the right word, but you know, when you think of chemicals, there's a lot of people out there in the public that don't view chemicals as being sustainable or they view it as being evil and so on and 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 you know you and I don't agree with that but how do how do we help change that perception of the community out there.
1: So uh, I I think we've learned a lot in agriculture over the 50 years that I've been out working full time uh, on behalf of American agriculture and US farmers uh, about. Uh, how to engage with consumers. Uh, and I think 50, 40 years ago, even 10 years ago, we were still making some mistakes and repeating mistakes about thinking that we needed to educate consumers. Uh, when when you approach someone, and, and it's not just unique to farmers and food consumers, uh, any human relationship, uh, if it starts off with, let me straighten you out, let me educate you, uh, you create some resistance. Yes. Uh, and I, I think, uh, what we've learned through a lot of mistakes and, and hard experiences is, uh, if we start off by listening to concerns of the public, uh, and in agriculture, we're touching everybody because everybody wants to eat at least three times a day. Uh, if we start out by, sincerely listening to what people understand and know then we can engage to explain more of the rest of the fact base that's out here that's associated with growing crops and producing livestock and getting food on the table and uh, we also have a lot more complexity to explain than we did 30 or 40 years ago because of all the science and technology that uh, has come into play and, and allowed us to be able to produce more food uh, on the same or lesser amounts of uh, farmland, uh, to have uh, livestock be so much productive, uh, more productive than before, and to improve the quality and nutritional value of the food that we're uh, delivering to consumers. So. Uh, We've learned a lot, and this, just like marriage, is a journey, not a destination. And uh, the other fact is that consumers also are different uh, than they were many years ago. Biggest difference is, of course, uh, how they get their news and information. And, you know, the traditional broadcast uh, delivery vehicles uh, are still important, but uh, social media and digital information delivery uh, is uh, tricky, but uh, something that I think we in agriculture are also learning to navigate and use more effectively.
0: I I think you're right on that. I mean, I think uh, when you started off by saying when we try to educate someone, um, you know, there is that resistance. Whereas if we listen and understand, we're going to get a whole lot farther down the road than by telling them, here's what you really should be doing. uh, That doesn't work very well.
1: Correct. And it's very easy to slip and fall back into the old patterns of, hey, hold on here. You, you you've got wrong information or you're a complete idiot and let me straighten you out. <laughs> it's hard, hard not to go there, particularly when some of uh, the other uh, points of view come at you uh, out of left field. But uh, we're getting there.
0: Well, it is not even left field, Jay. Let's be honest. It's so far left of left field that, you know, we still have to understand that's their perspective and and we just need to listen and understand and then help them learn not educate them but help them learn maybe is a better way of saying
1: yeah so So i uh, had a wonderful breakfast meeting with uh one of those real true advocates of american agriculture who happens to be one of 100 uh, united states senators serving right now and and she said uh you know i I've learned to manage my enthusiasm and my anger when, you know, people who don't understand anything about farming, uh, you know, want to tell us how to farm. And she said, uh, you know, my staff have, have finally uh, led me into anger management uh, and uh, and I'm learning, I'm trainable. But uh, this anger management course, uh, you've probably heard of it. They call it media tra- Training. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, So, and you're also involved a little bit in the Trust and Food Initiative. Uh, Just go through that a little bit.
1: I am. I'm uh, delighted to uh, to be associated with Farm Journal uh, as a client. Uh, They have uh, been uh, a consistent client for me uh, for most of the five years that uh, I've been out. in this new career uh, segment. And uh, Trust and Food, as you know, is the division of Farm Journal that is focused on more granular outreach uh, to consumers, uh, being one of those consumer platform outreach uh, initiatives that, that we've got in agriculture that uh, is uh, taking the, the assets that we have across agriculture and finding supporters to engage with Trust and Food to uh, not only Bring uh, more of us together across production agriculture, but engage with the food industry, and and then through that kind of collaboration, uh, find ways of reaching consumers. And it's been a phenomenal uh, journey, uh, one that I knew a lot about because Annie Weber and Charlene Fink, uh, leaders for Farm Journal, corporate uh, side, came to me while I was still at Crop Life uh, a few years before I retired, and. Explained this idea of trust and food to me, and and they had me when they explained that uh, they had done the research uh, to really prove that uh, if we took all the available resources from all of production agriculture business and put it against consumer outreach, that we didn't have the resources to reach consumers and and turn these corners of engagement that we need to accomplish, and so the objective of bringing in the food industry, which does have that throw weight and the marketing resources to reach consumers, because that's what they do all day, every day, uh, to provide that kind of consortium approach uh, had immediate appeal to me, because I'd been part of some of these other failed efforts uh, over the last decades. And so when I retired from crop life and Andy and team, approached me, uh, I I couldn't say yes fast enough, and I've been delighted to be part of this. One of the initiatives that I have some additional leadership on for Trust in Food is an initiative that we kicked off four years ago with USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. It's called America's Conservation Ag Movement, and it's again designed to work with NRCS. Uh, we, we get substantial resource support out of NRCS for this initiative and working with their staff. Uh, but we're required to get, uh, uh, one for one matching, uh, dollar support out of, uh, private industry, Mm -hmm. which we have done. We've exceeded, uh, that one for one, uh, uh, contract mandate, uh, in our relationship with USDA every year in the four years that we've been running ACAM, uh, by more than two X, uh, and and it means that uh, the private sector sees the high value in trust in food being a convener along with the uh, resources of the Natural Resources Conservation Service at, at USDA to, uh, to to really reach uh, more farmers, to get more engagement and support of uh, the conservation practices that are well developed and, and uh, supported by USDA and and from the united states congress with all the appropriated money that comes to usda for those programs
0: good good well we're coming to the end of the conversation and actually uh we could probably continue this for uh you know another hour or so but uh i know you have a little bit yeah. of a tight schedule and uh and uh, people may not realize but uh i'm actually getting my driveway asphalted and my four dogs uh, <laughs> you may hear them in the background once in a while but uh uh, they're they're finding this very interesting. But uh, one of the questions I was, always like to ask is, uh, who was your mentor? Who who helped you get? You grew up on a farm, but you actually went to DC or became more involved on on the on that side of it. i was just curious who your mentor was.
1: Well, uh, if you if you live uh, a long life, uh, you probably have many mentors, uh, and, and that's certainly my case. But uh, I would say. Uh, Certainly, my parents uh, were key to my values and uh, early training and focus on the value of education. That led to uh, my vocational agriculture high school teacher who actually recruited me while I was still in middle school. Uh, and he not only sort of laid out you know an opportunity to join VoAG as his student but also to become engaged in the ffa organization then it was called the future farmers of america uh, and from there he said uh, while i was in seventh grade uh, to me and my parents uh you'll be successful in high school you'll get all this great experience in ffa that will lead you to the university of illinois you'll join alpha gamma rho fraternity and uh you're gonna have a great career i've had so many great uh, mentors throughout my career. Uh, one of the most important uh, just passed away this week, uh, Mr. Keith Boyer, who was uh, a founder of Brayton Chemicals, eventually uh, uh, executive leader uh, with Wilbur Ellis Companies uh, that merged in his company into uh, from Iowa, Burlington, Iowa. Uh, was one of those uh, visionary leaders that uh, you just you know they're they're one in a hundred million or a billion people. Uh, just uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, people. So, I've been really, really fortunate to be surrounded by those kinds of uh, sort of external mentors, and then you know, just parts of two wonderful farming families that uh, uh, are the salt of the earth. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, you're sort of like me. You sound like you're fairly busy, busy with busyness. But do you have any hobbies?
1: Uh, I do. Uh, so my favorite hobby right now is uh, spending more time with my with our two sons and our five grandkids uh, just got back from a week in california where i was working but also uh spending time and uh and uh enjoying camping out in their homes uh in the bay area uh, we also play golf together uh like to hunt uh so i've got plenty of things to do when i'm not working but uh working for me is uh, as much an avocation as a vocation as well yeah
0: yeah. Yeah. Same here. And I, I enjoy golfing with my sons too. And every once in a while, like once every 17 blue moons, I actually beat them. So that's uh, <laughs> the, that that happens once in a while. So, <laughs>
1: well, I, occasionally I let my sons win also. So,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Well,
1: I think we still have enormous challenges in front of farming. Uh, and despite the fact that we got all these productivity gains uh and, and diversity uh sort of logical benefit becomes uh progress uh the public always wants more and you know we as part of that engagement uh with the public which includes public officials so i'm uh on my way to meet a member of Congress uh, with uh, our Illinois corn grower clients uh, today. Uh, The public includes those public officials, including elected and appointed folks. Uh, We've got a lot of work to do and a lot of additional scientific progress to make in order to continue this uh, journey of improving farming, both here and around the world. I'm really blessed to also have some clients that have had me working on some international Agriculture projects. Uh, I spent uh, the better part of a week and a half in the country of Sudan uh, in, in Northern Africa about a month ago, working on a project to help bring private sector uh, advancements to smallholder farmers in that country. So, uh, you know, protecting the freedom to operate and innovate new uh, technologies and get them to farmers to make sense out of this hodgepodge of digital uh farming and and record keeping for agriculture which relates to uh, your cpa uh profession and, and audience in agriculture uh we all have got to be expected to be more accountable and uh and keep that continuous improvement uh going so uh to be part of that and uh very optimistic about the future but uh none of us can rest on the past
0: correct correct and then finally, I always like to uh, end with uh, you know what what is your definition of success in farming?
1: Uh, that is a fantastic question. and uh, I appreciate you giving me a, a little advanced warning to think about that. Uh, and it strikes me that that definition is maybe uh, part of the answer to the question of how how has farming changed in the last 50 or 100 years. Uh, and I, I think it's a moving target. Uh, certainly, uh, you can't expect to build off of anything else with regard to success in farming if we aren't profitable. And for those of us who've been involved in farming for a while here in the United States, we know that we go through patches of time when uh, profitability is all you can focus on uh, because you're either just above water or you're underwater on any given year. And, and it can happen faster than any other change that we know in agriculture, right? Uh, commodity price swings, weather impacts, uh, you know, trade changes that uh, feels like we can't control. Uh, all of these things uh, are variables that we have to confront and, and manage, and uh, it's not easy. But then on top of that, meeting all these new sustainability targets and objectives, uh, uh, it, it, how to absorb that cost, be compensated for some of those costs, uh, or at least have some of those costs offset. Uh, it's farming has become so much more complicated, uh, and that's why we need young people uh, to engage and, and be enthusiastic about these opportunities. So
0: yeah, definitely agree. So well, Jay, we're at the end. Is there anything else you would like to communicate to the audience out there?
1: Uh, no, I'm uh, grateful for what you do and this kind of communications vehicle. I think it's really important that we have uh, things like podcasts where we can dig a little deeper into some of these complex issues uh, than uh, the normal uh, three paragraph uh, web story uh, can afford or or a headline in in a news uh uh broadcast so thank you for what you do and uh appreciate uh, this opportunity and wish you all the best
0: okay well thanks jay again this is the farm cpa podcaster podcast no excuse me podcast presented by top producer and this is paul nefer your host signing off